So it really is uh, great to be back. It was funny this morning, uh, my wife, as I told the team earlier, uh, this morning, you know, she was being encouraging this morning. She's like, you know, I, I know people are going to be excited, you know, that you're, you're back this morning. And I said, yeah, I, I hope so. And I said, what also occurred to me is uh, we have several families, the Husney family, the Gonzalez family, the Hagen families, as, as was mentioned. Apparently, this particular weekend weekend is a perfect weekend to travel. And so we're so excited. We have some of our people that are on an other continents, the Husky family, uh, bravely taking their very small humans like all over Europe because, uh, you know, FMLA apparently is really good at Hawker Beach. So uh, it's uh, just great for these families to be able to just get some time together, especially in light of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, for most of my life, I have been uh, a little obsessed with cleanliness and order. Uh, whether it, it was my car or my room, my wife is pretty much the same way. Uh, those that know me the best know that I'm genuinely on the OCD spectrum, which is tons of fun. Uh, however, uh, especially as our two of our four youngest sons were growing up, different story, I give you exhibit A. This, this picture, <laughs> this picture I took, this was our third son when he was in high school, uh, and I took a picture of his room. Now, how many of you, this immediately stresses you out? Okay, all right, very good. Uh, how many of you, you look at this, you go, I don't see the problem. No, okay, so how many of you, you have a bedroom or a closet or maybe the inside of your car? It's not quite at this DEF CON level, but it's somewhere, it's cluttered. Okay. How many of you, you're in a relationship with someone or you have humans in your home <laughs> who, for them, if you left them to their own devices within 72 hours, a room or your house would look like this? Okay, yes, absolutely, especially those of you with uh, small humans. Well, the great news is that uh, what your bedroom floor, your closet, your back seat, and what that looks like isn't that important in the big scheme of life, at least I tell myself that. Uh, however... Your Heavenly Father who loves you doesn't want your life to look like this. And as a pastor and a friend, if you consider me either, I don't want that for you either. Uh, to where there's just so much, there's so much chaos and so much going on in your life, just one misstep and something is going to break or you're going to trip or you're not going to be able to give attention to the things that really need the most attention to where there's just no margin, no room for error, and yet for most of us in America, this could be made into a meme that represents our life. In fact, recently I asked a group of key leaders, uh, a group of leaders some key questions as it pertained to us as a church and, and where God's leading us as a church, and one of the questions that I asked was, what are we known for? And immediately one person emphatically responded, tired. <laughs> And not just most of the people who make up new life, but our culture in general. People of all ages are exhausted. Exhausted by the pace and the demands and the challenges of life, family, work, school, money, housing, relationships. So today we're going to talk about it because this is a big deal. And for most of us, we know it's an issue, but we don't know what to do about it. But ignoring it is not an option because eventually... As I was reminded the hard way four months ago, the relationships that matter most in our lives suffer. 
both now and in the future. Your mental, your physical, your spiritual life begin to suffer. You begin to set yourself up for regret and maybe burnout. And again, this comes from personal experience. And for those of you that are parents or will someday be parents, this is double important for you because your kids, our kids, the next generation, they're taking their cues from us. So today is not a message you just listen to home or log off and go, you know, wow, that was a great message or it really hit home, but then you do nothing about it. Because this morning I want to help you. Today we're going to talk about actually creating space. We've talked about this around here before, creating margin in our lives. Margin being the space between our current pace and our limits. The space between our pace, how fast we're going, how fast we're spending, how complex our relationships have gotten, the quantity of what we're doing in the limited amount of time that we have in a given day, in a given week, the current pace of activities in our lives and our ultimate limits. Because physically, relationally, financially, mentally, and in terms of your time, whether you embrace it or not, you have limits. And when there's no space between your pace and your, and, and your limits, there's no margin. And when there's no margin, there's more stress, more anxiety, more mental exhaustion. You get hyper-focused on work or task or projects, and you end up uh, neglecting relationships because you just simply lack the emotional bandwidth. When there's no margin, your relationships always suffer. You might begin to hear things like, honey, or mom, or dad, you're always on your phone. You're always on the computer. Or there's always tension about money. Or you say to someone, I feel like your body's here, but you're not. I don't think you're listening. It's easy to blame a lot of other things. But at the end of the day, we were created for margin. As TJ talked about last week, when God had the opportunity to create his first society, the nation of Israel, they had no rules, no laws, because for centuries they had been a slave state. So he gave them rules. And in the top ten, the Ten Commandments, he commanded them to take a day off every week. Like, how can you not love a God that commands you to take a day off every week? God said, I have designed you in such a way that you need room, you need to breathe. So when the sun goes down on day six, you are to stop working for 24 hours. You're to lay down your tools. You don't pick another grain, another grape. You don't harvest another olive. When the sun goes down on day six, you go home, and for the next 24 hours, you rest because I designed you to function with margin and life is far better for you and for those people that are closest to you and for society as a whole when there's margin in your life. So today we're going to talk specifically about your time and your schedule because here's the reality, especially in America. My inclination and your inclination is to cram everything in and take nothing out. My inclination, yours, is just to do as much as we can. So we do as much as we can, and then we don't enjoy much of what we're doing. And here's how you know you're in trouble in terms of your schedule. When you look at everything you need to do in a given week or a given weekend, or uh, related, whether it's related to you, or if you have kids, related to your kids, and you look at it, and it just makes you tired looking at it. 
You know, or you have friends or family who often say, like, how do you do it all? How do you keep up with it all? Maybe you actually get a full night's sleep one time, but you still wake up tired. Your life is just so crammed full of stuff. Maybe, maybe you say this a lot. Uh, I may be 10 minutes late, or I might have to leave a few minutes early. Or, honey, uh, I'll be at your recital, but exactly when do you perform so that way I can show up, you know, and see my child perform and then get on to whatever I have next and then be able to come home and say, honey, you were fantastic. You know, no, I didn't stay for the other 40 kids whose names I don't know. I don't care about them. Or, son, you know, when exactly do you hit the floor? When does the game start? I might be a few minutes late and you drive too fast and you eat in the car. You just go, go, go. And then there's the times you're at work or you're working and think, you know, I really should be at home or I should be with my family. And then with your, you're at home or you're with your family and go, you're thinking, I really should be working and I have so much to do. And your kids are going to all, they're all different directions or you're single, you're single and you just can't say no to anything. Anything anybody wants from you, you, you say yes. And then you do it and you're like, why did I commit to this? Because, and then you're too afraid to back out. And today we're going to talk about how to solve that. And if it's not happening to you right now, it's about how to keep it from happening. And the reason that I'm excited about today is because we're, we're going to talk about, like we do most weekends, one big idea with one application. And this morning, literally, and I know it sounds exaggerated, it could literally change your life. And the reason it could change your life is because if you apply what we talk about today, it will change your time. And here's what I know about you and me. As goes your time so goes your life. As goes your schedule, so goes your life. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app you want to follow along, we're actually going to be in Psalm 90. And this is actually a psalm, a song, a musical prayer by Moses, actually not David. And Moses lived to be about 120 years old. And in that time, he essentially lived four different lives, which is why we should take him seriously. Moses was a Hebrew. He was adopted as a baby and raised in Pharaoh's household. He was raised in an Egyptian. So in part one of his life, he just grew up with all the wealth and comforts of royalty. But then he fell out of favor with Pharaoh because he murdered an Egyptian defending a Hebrew. It showed that his, his loyalty wasn't with the royal family. And uh, he had to run for his life. Then for part two of his life, he was a shepherd. And we are talking about some slow days. For 40 years, you get up in the morning, you take your sheep out, you sit, you watch the sun go across the sky, you get the sheep, you take them back to the pen, the next day you get up and do the same thing all over again. And you need to understand, at this point, Moses did not know the rest of his story. Moses thought this was it. You know, I'll have a few kids, my grandkids, they'll remember my name, and then nobody will remember my name. But then in part three of his life, he ends up back in Egypt as God's mouthpiece in the epicenter of one of the biggest events in world history where he faces down pharaohs, let my, the pharaoh, let my people go, and, the, and, and, and river of blood, and all these signs and wonders and pestilence and plagues. And then in the fourth and final part of his life, he's a leader of a nation. And they're marching out of Egypt into God literally knows where, into Canaan, into the promised land. Now he's the leader. And all these people, all they do is just complain and they murmur. murmur and God finally is like, I'm so sick of these people. So Moses, you're going to lead these people basically in a circle for the next 40 years. And until this complaining generation all dies off, 
this is just awesome. He's like, so I went from luxury in Pharaoh's home. Then for 40 years, I'm, shepherd, I'm staring at sheep. And then I'm a big shot in the middle of one of the biggest events in all of history. And now I'm just wandering around in the desert. Oh, then at the end of his life, he gets to the edge of the promised land. He, gets all these, he has all these people with him, a whole nation. And God says, oh, by the way, you can't go in. It's like, what? Yeah, I'm going to let you go up on a mountain. You're going to be able to see it, but you don't get to go in. So this guy, Moses, has some perspective on time. And in the 90th Psalm, he gives it to us. And I'm telling you, if we can make this the context for every decision that we make, as it relates to our time, it will literally change our lives. Even if you're not a Christian or a religious person, because these words define the actual context for every decision that we make, specifically what we cram in and what we pull out. Now, it's an ancient text, Hebrew to English, so it's a little bit tricky, but you can follow along, Psalm 90, and at the end, he gets to this powerful, powerful punchline. He begins with, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, talking about the nation of Israel, how they had lived within the context of who God is, even when they didn't know what was going on with God. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That God, somewhere between the bookends of everlasting to everlasting, is there this little blip on the screen? It's, it's the nation of Israel. It's me, Moses. It's us as a people. And he, then he makes this statement. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals, which is like the greatest Gandalf statement, right? It's just like, you know, you shall not pass. You know, return to dust, you mortals. Now, for us, especially in our Western modern way of thinking, this can be a little offensive, but this was not offensive to Moses. This was just his way of saying, God, I recognize that you control the beginning and the end and the days of our lives. Now, you and I struggle with that. So does that mean like God kills people? I don't know. Like, does God know how many days we're going to live, or does He decide how many days we're going to live? I don't know. Honestly, that's not really that important. What is important is that for most of you, whether you recognize it or not, whether you can explain it or not, most of us believe that God has something to do with the length of our days. And I can prove it. If you found out tomorrow that you or someone close to you have been diagnosed with a terminally ill disease, what would you do? You would pray. You would pray. You might message me. You might message some of your Christian friends. You, you might post on social media uh, that, you know, to try and get people to pray. Regardless if you haven't prayed for a long time. It's like, like oh God, that might be like the extent of your prayer. Or, and what that tells you is that there's something in you that believes that God has something to do with the number of the days of our lives. And he continues, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night, which is about three hours. In other words, Moses is saying, God, you, you're timeless. You're timeless. Like everlasting to everlasting. You're timeless. Like for me, like, like here comes a year. It just feels like such a big deal. Like here comes a year, or here comes another year. Or where did the last 10 years go? Like, God, my whole life feels like such a big deal. Like, what, what must it be like for you, God, when like a thousand years 
is like a day or like just a few hours. You, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like, and now he's talking about you and me. They are like the new grass of the morning. It's like, oh, a little baby born is born. What a cute little boy, a cute little girl. Like recently, I have, you know, I have a granddaughter born. And it's like they've got their whole life ahead of them. And they're like the new grass of the morning. And in the morning, it springs up new. But by evening, it is dry and withered and dies. He says, God, from our perspective, like our long, like our long little 70, 80 years, it's just this little sliver on here. You know, Moses got 120. Like for us, it just seems and feels like such a big deal. But from your perspective, we must be like grass that pops up in the morning and by evening. It's, or late afternoon, it's, it's done. It's dead. Now, isn't this exciting and motivating? Like, it's like, you know, just like, it's so quick. He says, God, from our perspective, this is happening. Uh, it's like, he goes on. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. And again, more great news. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. And Moses knew trouble and sorrow. Moses is going, you're not alone in trouble and sorrow. But Moses, so how can we believe in a good God? Moses is going, hey, don't, don't lose faith in a good God just because you're dwarfed by the magnitude of God or the brevity of life, talking about days, talking about years. For they quickly pass and then we fly away. So here's his point. Time in life passes quickly. And then what he says next can be a little confusing. Again, Hebrew to English. I'm going to read it, then explain it. He says, if only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Now again, a little difficult to translate from Hebrew to English without sounding like God's just out for blood and vengeance. Here's the idea. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he is due. Moses is saying if we could somehow see God as he is, then when it comes to the time that we have in our lives, we would give him the reverences due because I only have like this tiny little itty bit of slice of time in my life. And if I realize that, that I've only got this little slice to do something with, wouldn't the rational, logical, correct thing be to, in my little bitty blip of existence, give God the glory He's due. Here's another way to read it. If we could see God as He is, we would be more careful with the time that we have been allotted. If we saw God as He is and embraced the reality that He has given us an allotted amount of time with allotted amount of life, we're here today, gone tomorrow like grass, then we'd be careful with what we do with the limited amount of time that we've been allotted. Then he comes to the application. He says, teach us. He has to say that because it does not come natural for us. He says, teach us to number our days or teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Because isn't it true? You and I live as if we have unlimited time. We, we live our lives as if we have all the time in the world that we're going to live forever. Ever, ever. We spend our time as if we have all the time in the world, as if we're always going to have the freedoms that we have when we're single, always going to have our health, 
health, always going to have our kids, always going to have each other. We spend our time as if we are always going to have this job or this income or as if we're always going to have our parents. We spend our time as if it's unlimited. We just do in terms of our schedule, our days. For those of us with kids, our kids' days. We load them up with so much. We say yes to all these things and we just cram in everything. And especially in this driven culture of America, we live as if our days are not numbered. Moses says, don't do that. It's a huge mistake. We need to learn as if our days are numbered because they are. And you know what it is to do this because you've done this before in other areas of, of your life. If you ever have had to prepare for a presentation or exam or prepare for a project at work, anytime there's a deadline, a done by date, you live as if your days are numbered because you had a deadline. You knew eventually your time and your opportunity was going to run out. Now, some of you didn't live like those days were numbered, especially in college, and then it involved a lot of caffeine and red the night before. And then you regretted not living as if your days were numbered because it was so much harder. Maybe your final grade was lower. You didn't do as well on the project as you could have done. Or if you are married or if you've ever been married, you had a wedding day. And from the time you knew what day you were going to be married, you began to number those days, especially the ladies. We guys, let's just be honest. Most of us, we just show up, just tell me where to show up. I will be there. Ladies especially, you knew exactly what had to get done and you organized the time between. You said, I will and I do. Moses says, what if you lived your whole life that way? Because here's the promise. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He's saying, teach us to live as if our days are numbered because in living as if our days are numbered, we will gain wisdom as to what we should put in, what we should leave out, and what should be priority. Because at 54, here's what I can guarantee you. If you live as if your days are not numbered, you will continue to fill your, things, uh, fill your days with things that later on you will wish you had not filled your days with. But when you begin to number your days, you immediately gain wisdom and perspective. Because suddenly it's like, wait a minute, I can't spend my time doing that. I need to spend my time doing this. Or I need to spend no time doing this because I need to spend time doing that. So here's kind of the summary statement for everything Moses has just taught us. Remembering our time is limited. It provides us with the wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. My time is limited, so I need to limit how I spend my time. It's like money. When it comes to money, even with credit cards, to some degree, we understand this. My money is limited, so I have to limit how I spend my money. But somehow, we treat time like it's also got a credit card, and we can't overspend. You know, we forget my time is limited. Now, I get it. You're thinking, Chad, you keep repeating yourself, can we just have the closing song and go? So I'm going to do you a, 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 a huge favor. And again, as someone who's already lived over five decades with children in their late 20s and early 30s and parents in their 70s and 80s, I'm going to fast forward you to the end of your life. And 
if you're willing to take the wisdom you are about to immediately gain that you don't normally get to until the end of your life and then bring it back to the current life stage that you are in right now and apply it, you will make better decisions as it relates to how you spend your limited time and you will find more joy and you'll get wisdom in what you allow and put into your schedule, which is the same as what you allow and put into your life. Bronnie Ware is an Australian nurse who has worked in a hospice context most of her life. She spent an incredible amount of time with people who have less than 12 weeks to live and stays with them all the way through the end. Some time ago, she began asking questions of all these patients of hers at the end, and she's written about this in a, in a, a powerful book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she asked her patients, do you have any regrets? What regrets do you have? And she began, as you might imagine, to hear some patterns. And she began to write these things down. So just to help fast forward you to the end of your life, which will come, and gain, give you incredible perspective, I'm going to just share with you the top two regrets that people have within the last few days of their life, and in some case, the last few hours of their life. The second one I'm going to give you first is the one that you might think would be the top one. Here's what they say. Regret number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Here's what she says. This came from every male patient that I nursed. Every single man at the end said, I wish I had not worked so hard. They missed their children's youth, their partner's companionship, Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been the primary breadwinners. All of the men deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. You know what this shows? It shows us, and especially in 2023, where women more and more are in lead roles and in the workforce and take in some in, in primary, in many cases, primary breadwinners now. It shows if we don't learn to number our days, we will misspend our time. We will misspend our life. And we will have an avoidable regret because when you think and live as if you have all the time in the world as a single person or with your kids or with your spouse or with your family and then you suddenly realize you don't, you can't go back. You only get to be 20 once as much as you might be in denial about that. You only get to be 30 once. You only get to be 40 a couple times. You can be 50 indefinitely. Okay, there's stages of life you cannot go back and undo. And we learn this powerful lesson from men and women who are numbering their days because they can no longer avoid the reality that their days are numbered. The number one regret, and for anyone in their teens or their 20s especially need to hear this, and this one, again, I can affirm from over five decades of personal experience. This is the number one most common regret. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I'd had the courage to live true to myself and not the life other people expected of me. Maybe it was parents. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was just culture in general. 
She explains this is the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life was almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams went unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams, and they had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they had made or not made. And this is so powerful. She says, health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. Now, I've just done you a huge favor. I have fast-forwarded you and me to the end of our lives, to your end and mine. You now have the wisdom that comes with living as if your days are numbered. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with that when later today or tomorrow you look at your current schedule, at the schedule of your family? I'm convinced that you aren't like most people that just go to church or just listen online, that you, actually, and you, know, you listen to a talk and you check off, I went to church box. What are you going to do after I'm done talking and you go home or you log off and you look at your current pace, what are you going to do about it this afternoon if you see and know that there is very little space or there's not enough space between your current pace and your limits? Now, I know, I understand the pushback because I'm not any different from you. The pushback is, you know, Chad, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, I will never make it. What's it? Well, I don't know, but I won't make it. Do you know what the people Brawny spent time, spends time with would say? You better make sure you've chosen the right it. Because you can spend your whole life trying to make it and get to the end realizing the it was the wrong it. As Stephen Covey is famous for saying, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. How tragic to reach the top, reach the final rung, only to discover too late that you leaned your life's ladder against the wrong wall. If you're going to pack your life full of things that help you get there, you should define where there is. What is make it? Because somewhere along the way, something, somehow, we formulated it. We formulated there. We should have an answer to that question. Here's another one. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'll fall behind. Well, fall behind who? Fall behind what? What drives your schedule? Is it the culture? Is it something that was pounded into you by your parents or a previous generation? Or I don't want my kids to fall behind. I don't want us to fall behind. I, I want to keep up with who? Fall behind what? You should have answers to those questions. What's driving your schedule? Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, here's another one. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'll be poor. Now, for some of you, not many probably, but for some of you, this may be a big deal. But have you ever stopped to define poor? Maybe, again, it's something you grew up with or the way you were raised or what you experienced growing up. But maybe it's something you've seen. If I don't, I'll be poor. But have you really thought that through? If it's an emotion that's driving you. 
Here's another one. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't be accepted. Well, by whom? I mean, isn't it interesting that, especially for those of us who have moved well past high school and college, all the people whose opinions that were so important at that point, and then like five years later, we couldn't even remember their names. Ten, we can definitely not remember their names. Or you, you know, when you're a teen or in college, there's just all these people that are surrounding us that just drive how we spend or waste our time and our life. And for those that are in that age group, just I, I promise you, Within a few years, you're not even going to know these people. And if you let them, they will have robbed you. But what's most important, your time. Because time is your most treasured asset. The last one. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I won't measure up. To what? To whom? Like what or who is driving you? Because if... If you don't sit down and think through and answer some of these fundamental questions today, tomorrow at the latest, you could easily and far too quickly get to the stage of life where you lose your options, you lose your health, and you lose the ability, and you've spent your time that you can never get back, and you will eventually reach a point where you run out of options, and you will have spent your whole life chasing after something you never defined. Now, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, if you believe there's a personal God who has a personal plan for your life, like many of us believe, I mean, do you understand how extraordinarily important this is? Because God has something He wants to do in and through you, for you, for the people in your lives, for, the, for our community. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. Because people and culture, not God, will have determined your life and what needs to be in it. And what needs to be out? And what priority needs to be given to what? God has something for your singleness. He has something for your family. He has something for your kids. He has something specifically for you while you're single because you have a bit more time, a bit more space, a bit more margin. And if it's being filled up and taken away by people saying, this is how you should live your life, that will lead to regret. God's going, no, no, no. Live as if your days are numbered because they are. And by doing so, you will gain a heart of wisdom. You will gain margin. You will gain, life is just better. It's more joyful. It's more fulfilling. It is more rich when you have margin. So I want to help you even further with something so practical, and then we'll wrap up. I'm going to give you a simple but important homework assignment. For when you leave here, when you log off, if you're married or you have, you're in a relationship with someone, you should have a conversation, talk about this. Uh, if maybe you live with someone or you're close to someone, you're in a small group, you should talk about this together. If you're a student and you dare talk about it with parents, do it. Parents, you should talk with your kids about this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think through your time, where your time goes in any given week. And even better, just do, to use a fancy word, an inventory and just jot it down. In writing, first, question, what do I need to add to my schedule that's not there? And at first you may just feel like, I can't add more. No, what do you need to add that's not there? And second question is, what do I need to subtract and remove completely? This is the part we're bad at. And for some of you, this is tough because you're just so driven or you're a, a yes person by nature and you want to keep everybody around you happy, so you say yes. And to say no makes you feel like you're failing or letting people down or you feel like you're going to miss out. 
Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's an activity that's stealing time from things that matter more. Some of you, it isn't a task or an activity that you need to remove. What you need to put down is a name. Because there are some people or there's a person in your life and they're stealing time from you and you know it. Uh, your close friends may have told you. You have a, a family member that's told you and you pushed back and argued, yeah, but they're, they're such a nice person, and what, you know, whatever. But you know in your heart that they have added such a level of demand in your life and your time and your schedule. And it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they take too much of your time and there's nothing to show for it. It may be a friend. It may be a weekend thing. Or maybe you're a couple and it's another couple. And again, it's not that they're bad people or that God doesn't love them. Uh, it's just that Somebody's got to go. The third thing you need to write down is, what do I need to be, do more of? What do I need to do more of? You, you've allowed your time to be so eaten up by lesser things that there are important, and maybe for you, life-giving activities that you've let drop off because you, there's just no time. Or maybe it's a name of someone in your life that you've sidelined or that you've put on the fringes and they're getting the leftovers at best. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's daily time with God that rarely, if ever, happens because there's just no room. Maybe it's blocking time on your schedule for rest. Or like TJ talked about yesterday, uh, last Sunday, taking a Sabbath. Maybe some of you, you need to block time on your calendar that you protect ruthlessly just to take a nap. And I know for some of you with really small humans in your house, that gets extra challenging. But it is possible by leaning into your community and the people around you. The, the fourth thing is, what do I need to do less of? Maybe it's something you can't get rid of altogether, but you know, you just know, I'm spending too much time on that. You know, we as an individual or as a couple or as a family, you know, we're just spending too much time on whatever it is. And it isn't necessarily that you need to throw away all the televisions or the tablets or all the screens or get rid of social media altogether, but maybe. But we need to spend a little less time in front of those screens or doing this or I don't need to quit playing video games altogether but maybe I just need to turn it down a little bit. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's an activity. Or you've got your kids, honestly, they're just involved in too much. But the point is, for some of you, this is a life changer because it's a time changer and your time is your life. And for those of you that you're in a small group, you need to talk about it. You don't have to study a curriculum. You just fill out the answers and then you show up and say, okay, a little, I need a little accountability. There's someone, something or someone that's dropped off my schedule. I need to put it back in which means something's got to come out or somebody's got to come out. There's something I need to turn up a little bit. There's something I need to turn down a little bit. There's something that I need to take out completely. God, teach us to number our days that we might gain what we don't have, what most people don't get until the end of their life and it's too late, that we might gain a heart of wisdom because my time is limited, which means that I need to limit what I do with my time. And if you'll begin to do this, and to begin to allow it to trickle down into the details of your day, weekend, the details of your life. It will change your life. 
Because maybe for the first time in a long time, you will feel what we all desperately long to feel. Peace. We all desperately long to feel in our lives a sense of peace. And the Apostle Paul says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, that peace will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to invite the band to come up. I'm going to pray for you. And then during the song, this is just, it's really your first chance to begin to pray about this. Because I suspect you already know some of the answers without having written anything down. That as I was talking, people or activities or commitments or your job or work or other things that you've committed yourself to are coming to mind. And it's very likely that that's just God speaking to you. God is rarely loud. Usually it's just very gentle. And he'll tell us what we need to know. Help us identify what we need to know. But then he leaves it to us what we're going to do about it. So we're going to take a few moments and just give you time to pray about it, to invite God into the process. And again, for those of you that maybe you're not dealing with it now, maybe you didn't have words for it then, but you have words for it now so that you can be numbering your days to keep this from becoming a crisis or a problem. Because for the sake of you, for the sake of the people closest to you, and for sure for the sake of the next generation. We need to get this right, to live as if our days are numbered. And some of you, you have some little changes that you need to make. And some of you, you have some big changes you need to make. And praying and asking God to help you face the fears and the challenges that lay ahead, that's, that's the best first step. So I'm going to pray, and then as the band sings, you can just take a moment to be processing and pray in your seats however you want to and just be processing this so that this afternoon, tomorrow at the latest, you you can take your next step. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so gracious, so glad, so grateful that we have the text that we do have so that we have the opportunity to learn from those who came before us. Sometimes, Father, we're just, we're so arrogant because we have experienced so many advancements with technology and medicine and all these other things and that somehow we've got it better than all the generations that came before us. But at the core, the truth is we, we have all battled and wrestled the same thing. And the core question is, can you be trusted? If we begin to let go of some things, can you be trusted? Will you truly show up in the areas we feel there's gaps? And so, Father, I, I pray for every single one of us that you would identify in our heart and our mind, for every one of us, that you would identify those things that we need to add, those things we need to stop, those things we need to do more of, the things we need to do less, and that you'll give us the strength and the courage and the support system around us to actually take action. So I pray for everyone right now that's listening to my voice, Father, that you would just bring to their minds, begin to answer those questions. And that, Father, that you will just be the wind behind them to move them in the direction they need to go. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.